if a line is great, but it's not right for the song, then I don't think twice about putting it on the cutting room floor. And you can save it for another song. Maybe it inspires a whole new song. You know, it's all about learning to work with other people and putting together that team. It's easy to get lost in today's music industry with constantly changing technology and where anyone with a computer can release their own music. But I'm gonna share with you why this is the best time to be an independent musician and it's only getting better. If you have high quality music, but you just don't know the best way to promote yourself so that you can reach the right people and generate a sustainable income with your music, we're gonna show you the best strategies that we're using right now to reach millions of new listeners every month without spending 10 hours a day on social media. We're creating a revolution in today's music industry, and this is your invitation to join me. I'm your host, Michael Walker. All right, so I'm excited to be here today with Clay Mills, who's a songwriter that's recorded over 200 songs, including a number one hit song, Beautiful Mess, 16 ASCAP awards, multiple Grammy nominations. And you know, not only has he done this for himself, but he's also the founder or one of the founders of Songtown, which is an online community of, of songwriters and mentors. And now you guys have a team of literally dozens of mentors that are hit songwriters. And so, of course, you know, what, what can we focus on today? I was thinking songwriting would be, would be a natural fit. It's yeah. so, so important as a musician and as a songwriter and artist, you know, songwriting is really at the roots of everything. So I'm excited to, to take some time to explore that together. Yeah, I'm excited to be here. And as we say in Songtown, it all begins with a great song. I've heard it often said, well, it all begins with a song, but no, a song's not good enough. It's got to be a great song to open doors and move people. Mm -hmm. That's good. That's true. That's true. It's like, you can't just make noise. You got to make some, some beautiful noise. So I'd love to hear a little bit about your story, just kind of how you got started and how you, how you got to a point where you recorded a, a number one hit song and multiple Grammy nominations. So what would that look like for you? Man, it was a long journey for me. I mean, I grew up Mississippi and Alabama, didn't know anyone in the music business, but I kind of played in bands in high school and, and a year of college. And I just up and decided on a whim when I was 19 to move to New York City, had $300 in my pocket and a friend that said I could sleep on their sofa. <laughs> so... I, I take an Amtrak from Alabama train, couldn't afford to fly. So I took a train all the way to New York City and within a few weeks found a job working at Manny's Music on 48th Street in their keyboard department, selling keyboards to people that would come in and synthesizers and samplers. It was kind of at the beginning of when computers started entering into, you know, music. And so it was, it was kind of exciting time. You know, I remember distinctly though, at one point I'd been there probably two months and I went into work on a Friday. I paid my landlord and I was counting on getting a paycheck on Friday because I was out of money. I mean, I was literally broke. So paid my landlord that Friday morning, went into work and was expecting to get a paycheck and they go, oh, we messed up your check. We're not gonna have your check till next week. So I literally left work that day going, I don't have any money to eat until Monday when I get my check. Wow. So I was thinking, you know, I started thinking I should call home. I should ditch this whole New York thing. You know, maybe I wasn't cut out for this and I was walking down the street and there was this sign that said karaoke. 
So I was like, well, I'll, I've moved to New York. I'm at least before I call home, I'm going to say I got to sing in New York. So I went in, sang a song at their karaoke and I started to leave. And the owner of the club came over to me and he said, hey, he goes, I love your singing. He's like, let me buy you a drink. So I sat down, was talking to him and he says, what do you want to eat? And he's like, he got me a hamburger. And I was like, you don't know how much this means to me because I literally didn't know how I was going to eat till Monday. And I was thinking of calling home, maybe moving back to Alabama. And he went over the cash register and pulled out $50 and handed it to me. And he was like, don't give up your dream, man. He's, he's like, you got talent. So that made an impression on me because as creative people, no matter what we're trying to do, we need people to come along at the right time to encourage us. Mm -hmm. So that's always been my mission. And especially now since starting Songtown eight years ago with Marty Dodson, where we mentor thousands of writers around the world. It's, it's my mission to, to try to be that positive voice, you know, and, and not solely positive because, you know, our members turn in a song that sucks. We're going to tell them it sucks because that's the reality of it. But we also try to help them make their writing better. We don't just say, oh, you got what it takes or you don't. We, you know, if your writing's not up to par, then we show you how to get it up to par. It's working. We've had a lot of members having success. So. Mm. Man, that was long-winded. <laughs> that was beautiful, man. I, I, lo I love that story. And it's a great example of, I think it's, it's true. Like a lot of times we need, like we need that encouragement. We need support. Like having a mentor, I don't think it's a, it's not a coincidence that in every great novel and Harry Potter, there's Dumbledore and, you know, and mm -hmm. Luke Skywalker has Yoda and like, and there's, there's always like these mentors and they can, they can point out, they can see something inside of you that you can't necessarily see for yourself. And, they, and like you said, they're not always, it's not always like, like positive feedback. Like they're going to be honest with you and sometimes even direct and hard and say like, Hey, like, you know, we're, we're good, but it's all towards, it's all given in love and, and in constructive feedback to help, help grow. So I think that's, that's amazing that, that you're providing that, that service for artists. So now that you've had the perspective, both as like an artist yourself writing songs and also working with a lot of other songwriters, and you know, I'm sure that you started, there's like these patterns or there's like certain like challenges or mistakes or common misconceptions or things that kind of come up over and over again, the similar questions. What do you say are some of the biggest challenges that you see uh, songwriters struggling with when they first come to you? I would say 99% of all problems in a music career is that you're not doing something good enough yet. You're not on a high enough level. And understanding that you can't do everything great and building that team around you. So if you're a great singer, maybe you need to team up with some great songwriters or a great track person, or you need a, to be in a, a front man in a band with somebody who plays guitar well. You know, it's all about learning to work with other people and putting together that team. So when I was in New York and I was putting together my team, I was working in a music store. Somebody came in that ran a jingle company. And at that time, writing jingles was the furthest thing from my mind. But sometimes you have to go with opportunities that present themselves. So this person came in and got to talking to him. 
and he's like, well, give me a tape of, of your songs. Cause I told him I was a songwriter. And so I happened to have a tape. I gave it to him. And the next day he calls me and he goes, I've got a commercial for lemon line crush. He's like, all I got is don't just quench it, crush it. And he's like, you gotta, tomorrow morning, you gotta have something for me. So I stayed up all night, put together a demo, wrote the tune, gave it to him. And then that led to me getting my first jingle as a songwriter. And I did that for about five years in New York where they would give me a project. They would say it needs to be like, one day it would be, we need something like the band Queen. And then the next day it would be, we need something literally like Paula Abdul. I mean, it was like, mm -hmm. uh, you know, or then it would be classical. What can, you know, we need this orchestra piece. So it was just great training for the music business. I knew it wasn't what I wanted to do with the rest of my life, but it was paying the bills and it was like going to music school. And so later on, when I finally got the songwriting going, where I'm writing for country bands, I'm writing for R&B bands, I'm writing for rock bands. I had all the training to walk into any situation and be able to adapt my sound and go, okay, this is what they're looking for. And I was able to do that. You know, it's just, I kind of went to school, but I went to school in the real world of, you know, you sink or swim. <laughs> Here's your project. You're either going to succeed or you're going to fail and you're probably going to starve. <laughs> so it was, it was, you know, learning by hard knocks kind of. There is something really, I mean, I, I hear this reflected in a lot of different stories of success is sort of that, that moment. It's like jumping in the deep end of the pool and it's like, all right, well, you're either going to learn how to swim or you're going to, you're going to drown. Right. And it's like, it's funny how motivated you can be to learn how to swim when you have no alternatives and all you have to do is learn how to swim. Well, my buddy of mine that I wrote my first number one song for, it was a song called beautiful mess. And that's gosh, it's been like 20 years and knock on wood. It's still been playing on radio. But Sonny LaMare and I wrote that together with another artist, Shane Miner. And we, we used to always say, the three of us, we had this mantra, burn your bridges. And it just literally meant to us, there was no retreat. The bridge behind us is burnt. So now all you can do is move forward and fight. And I think if you have that attitude, and you have just the least, the little bit of talent, it, you'd be surprised what burning those bridges behind you. And there's no other option but to succeed. You know, mm -hmm. if, if you put yourself in, gosh, it's, it's hard. I'm not going to say everybody out there should quit whatever they're doing and just go for it because you have to be prepared for, for what does happen. And, you know, it's, it's hard. I had a, when I had my first number one song, I had a six month old baby, was married, didn't know how it was, you know, some months I could barely make my house payment. I got fired from my publishing gig at EMI Music and the whole world just seemed like it was caving in on me, but I stuck it out. And just when I needed it to mo the most, you know, that first big hit came. So I think it's literally Sometimes when things look the bleakest, if you don't give up, it's like the universe says, okay, you stuck it out. We're going to reward you. Mm. That's, that's powerful, man. Yeah. I mean, I think there's, there's a reason that the saying is always darkest before the dawn. Yeah. I, yeah. 
it's certainly in my own life, like everything that's precipitated, like the biggest growth periods have always been some sort of like adversity or some sort of challenge. And it's kind of catapulted into, into something else. You're um, comfortable. You'll yeah. never accomplish anything. I really believe that not, I mean, you can accomplish things, but I don't think it will be, it won't be your best. It won't be that groundbreaking, you know, thing that you're capable of if you're comfortable. Mm -hmm. It just, you know, hunger mm -hmm. is the uh, mother of invention, right? Mm -hmm. That's so good. So one thing I want to, I want to kind of come back to that you, that you said that I think is really interesting. And I, I'd love to hear your, your take on this because uh, it's something that I, I wonder my, myself is kind of finding the balance between specialization and like really focusing and really honing in, like we talked about, like finding what you're really good at and kind of building a team around you, like the value, like how much we should be doing that versus what you talked about in terms of like learning different genres and kind of being like learning, like how to, how to navigate and be able to be flexible and kind of having this base foundation that you can pull from. How do you recommend? Yeah. Like what, what are your thoughts on, on that, that balance? Like, you know, how, how do you uh, balance the specialization versus the making sure that you, you're, you have a basic understanding of every, of everything? Well, it's hard to be world-class at everything. So I suggest you try to find that one thing that you're good at and really become amazing at that, whether it's, you know, programming tracks for pop music or you're a world-class lyricist that can walk into a room and write with people. That That's one side of the equation. The other side of the equation is when you're talking about multiple genres, I think every artist, no matter what kind of music you're doing, you need to be pulling from multiple genres. If you wake up, if you're a country artist and all you do is listen to country music 24 seven, you're going to get very stale in that genre. You won't bring anything new to it. So, mm -hmm. you know, all the way back to the day when Ray Charles was amazing, groundbreaking artist, he was taking R&B lyrics and blending it with gospel music. Whether you're run DMC years later, bringing in Aerosmith to, to collaborate, where you're putting, you know, rap and hip hop together with rock music, those kind of things where you blend genre, that's a necessity, I think, to, to break ground. You, you always have to, to listen and be open to all kinds of music. But so that's, you've got to be open to a lot of things in that respect, but I do think specializing is, you know, on your skills in the beginning, you know, you can branch out later. And then the other side of it is not to confuse people further, but you know how in baseball, you have a utility player that can go in, maybe he's not great at any one thing, but he can go in and play center field one day and then the next day is at shortstop. So there are writers and musicians that get make a you know a great living because they're capable of being jacks of all trades. So you kind of have to decide, am I gonna be this person that can walk into any room and do what's necessary that day? Maybe today I'm playing guitar, maybe tomorrow I'm writing the lyric, maybe the next day I'm writing the melody depending on who you're collaborating with. So are you that kind of utility player that, you know, are you a specialist? And I think you could do it both ways, but you kind of have to decide what your personality is. For some people, specializing is just way too limited, you know, so 
I think you have to have an honest assessment of who you are and then go with that. And, and I can say for my own career, if I, if I jump on a tour bus to write with Darius Rucker, I'm going to be doing lyrics and melody. If I'm writing with Tia Sillers, she's an amazing writer, wrote I Hope You Dance, was one of the biggest all-time hits in pop music. If I'm writing with her, she's an amazing lyricist, so I'm going to do more of the melody that day. So for me, being you know that utility person, I'll do whatever is necessary in the room. You know, and that that's kept me going for a lot of years. But some people, you know, they're better. My partner in Songtown, Marty Dodson, he's a lyricist. Tia Sillers, she's a lyricist. That's what she is. So be honest with yourself and, and figure out what you do best. Awesome. So, so it sounds like what you're saying is that, you know, it, it really depends a lot uh, on a person-to-person basis. If it's someone who is more of a natural jack-of-all-trades, then that could be a really useful tool to be able to kind of be open to and kind of blend into the needs of the room. Right. Uh, but then also, you know, you have to be honest with yourself and and figure out what is it that really sets you apart? And like, is there anything that you're really, really good at that's sort of your genius zone and leaning into that so that you can really go deep on that? But regardless, it's really valuable as a philosophy to always be blending together several different genres. You don't want to just focus on one genre because um, yeah. if you do, then it gets stale. The analogy that came to mind when you were describing that was, you know, I, I like this analogy a lot for a few different things, but like a running river, you know, like if, if it's not running and there's not any fresh water going through it, it turns into this like stagnant pond and there's all this bacteria and this like you know, yuckiness and it just, it doesn't, there's not, it's like a breeding ground for, for death. <laughs> Basically it's stagnant versus like a running river where there's fresh water, like constantly going through it, then it kind of, it keeps, it keeps things moving. And so it, it, it sounds like having that fresh water, having the, the, the other sources of inspiration is one of the best ways to kind of keep the, the current moving through you. Yeah. And it, it always makes me laugh. You know who Chris Stapleton is? Yes. So he is held up by hardcore country fans as, you know, this guy who is, you know, hardcore country and, you know, he's sticking up for real country music. Well, what they didn't realize before he was this quote country traditionalist artist he was writing songs for Thomas Rhett and Luke Bryan, you know, some of these people that were more on the pop side of country. And so, you know, to him, when he came time to do his artist thing, he knew what style fit him as an artist. But when it came to writing songs for other people, he loved that process too. And he loved blending styles, whether he was taking from Etta James, you know, or he was taking from Motown or, or he was taken from, from rock, you know, eighties rock. He was in an eighties rock band for a while. He just loved, you know, he was in a bluegrass band, the steel drivers, you know, and won all kinds of awards in that band. So blending styles was what he loved. But when he decided to do his artist career, he really had to figure out, well, what do I sound best doing? You know, and that, mm-hmm. and so, yeah, it's fun. It's a fun game to try to figure it all out. So one thing that that kind of leads into is I think a lot of 
people, a lot of songwriters struggle with, I mean, uh, obviously just the inspiration for the, the creativity and kind of where does the song come from? How do I write these songs? And, and what's the best process for doing that? And I know there's sometimes there's mixed opinions on using like references or like how much to lean on references and inspiration and pulling. And sometimes people have like mixed feelings about that. They're like, oh, I'm doing something wrong by borrowing from this. Like I should be totally original, authentic, and just myself. Like what what are your thoughts on the songwriting process and influences and, you know, and people being able to pull in references and, and be able to, to use those? So I've been in rooms with pro writers, pro producers, been around publishers, hit publishers. I mean, my whole career for almost 30 years now, every single person I've ever met needs inspiration, but the best people use it as a starting point. So if you get a vibe off a record and go, oh, I like that chord progression, or maybe I like what the Toms are doing, how they're doing this beat. Maybe I'll try something like that. But then you completely get off of that, that original song. You don't want to be so close that you do get sued. And, you know, you can tell when people get too close to that line. But, you know, fortunately, knock on wood, I've never been sued. It's just, it's hard to, you know, I just shy away from, from getting too close to anything, you know. I want to be inspired and go, wow, that's, that's a cool kind of thing they're doing on this song. But... Once you kind of soak in the energy of that, you got to let it go and you got to go into a new direction. It's a hard thing to explain, but everyone, I don't care if you were Stevie Wonder, he was borrowing from people when he was a kid, you know, I mean, everyone does it. And any, whether you're U2 or the Rolling Stones or whoever, you have, you know, leaned on your influences and there's still like an artist. <laughs> if you know that book, Steal Like an Artist, it's a great book. Oh, what's up, guys? So quick intermission from the podcast so I can tell you about an awesome free gift that I have for you. I wanted to share something that's not normally available to the public. They normally reserve for our $5,000 clients that we work with personally. This is a presentation called Six Steps to Explode Your Fan Base and Make a Profit with Your Music Online. And specifically, we're going to walk through how to build a paid traffic and automated funnel gonna allow you to grow your fan base online and the system's designed to get you to your first $5,000 a month with your music. We've invested over $130,000 in the past year to test out different traffic sources and different offers and really see what's working best right now for musicians. And so I think it's gonna be hugely valuable for you. And so if that's something you're interested in, in the description, there should be a little link that you can click on to go get that. And uh, the other thing I want to mention is, you know, if you want to do us a, a huge favor, one thing that really makes a big difference early on when you're creating a new podcast is if people click subscribe, then it basically lets the algorithm know that this is something that's new and noteworthy and that uh, people actually want to hear. And so that'll help us reach a lot more people. So if you're getting value from this and you get value from the free trainings, then if you want to do us a favor, I'd really appreciate you clicking the subscribe button. All right, let's get back to the podcast. Mm, yeah, that's that's so good. It, uh, in some ways, I think it's kind of funny that like it seems like trying to be completely original, like something totally new. 
And it's like, we all like, we're part of the same, the same world, the same universe. Like we didn't come from like, we do, we're not apart from this. Like we're all, you know, we all came from, from the same, the same place. And of course we're all influenced by each other. And it's not like we just live in a vacuum where like we can kind of bring something that it wasn't like energy from, from some other form getting like kind of like high up in the clouds here. But, but I think that everyone that I've talked to that's had success, like you're, like you're talking about right now has given the same kind of answer. That's like, no, like, absolutely. Like, you know, you can be influenced, but also there's a balance to like, you know, using it for inspiration, but then also bringing something new to it and, and, you know, being able to play off of it and create something, create something that's your own. Yeah, most definitely. But that, that's the key making it, you know, your own is, and not not just crafting something from someone else. It's kind of like you're using the bones of something, but you know the the blood and the flesh has got to be totally different. So let's say that someone that's listening to this right now wants to kind of kick things into gear, get back into a really solid routine, maybe with like songwriting, or they want to take things to the next level. What do you recommend for like, for like a habit or for like, do you recommend like a daily songwriting kind of ritual or routine, or what are your recommendations for someone to kind of take their, their songwriting habits to the next level? Anything you do in life, if you do it on a routine, you're going to get better at it. Whether you want to be a professional athlete or you want to be a songwriter. I mean, could you imagine you play guitar, right? Or what, what instrument do you play? Primarily piano, but I have a lot on the acoustic guitar a little bit. I mean, could you imagine when you were trying to learn piano and go, nah, I'm only going to play every once in a while when I'm inspired, you know, <laughs> and I'm certainly not going to sit here and practice these chords and these riffs and these. So for songwriting, it's no different. It's a muscle. So if you get up every day and you try to create something, you're going to build that muscle and you're also going to build your skills. And that's what I try to do at Songtown in my master classes is help people build their skill so that when they do get that inspiration, they have the tools. You know, every songwriter I know makes it easier on their self by setting up co-writing appointments. So I know mm -hmm. tomorrow I'm writing with Joe, whoever on, you know, the next day I'm writing with Frank, whoever the next, you know, and if you have regular co-writing appointments that you keep, you got to show up. You got to have an idea, you know, and, and that's what you need. You need those goals to, to motivate you. If you just sit down by yourself and go, I don't know, maybe I should be answering emails today or, you know, it's, it's too easy to get distracted. You know, you start looking at your phone, social media, you know, maybe I need to be posting more, but if you've got an appointment, you know, to, to co-write with somebody, then you're going to keep that appointment you're going to show up and you're going to be productive and you're going to finish the song that day so co-writing is probably and not just that if you're trying to network as a songwriter or an artist co-writing with other people that's what opens the doors in this business is collaborating with other people so mm -hmm. if every publisher i've ever met will tell you they sign new writer because those people are writing with writers they already have signed. And then they go, well, wow, this person's really good. You know, you're writing with him a lot. I want to sign that person too. So it's co-writing. You can't, you can't go wrong with co-writing. Mm. 
It's really smart. Yeah, sort of the accountability of throwing your hat over the fence, scheduling the call with someone so that you absolutely know that that you're going to to do it and just the the way that you can you can play off each other. I mean, how many times I'm sure people listening to this right now have had where they're sitting down and they have an idea for a song. And then they second guess themselves like you yeah. know, for an hour straight. It's like, oh, like what about this line or this line or this line? When literally in like five seconds, you could just spend like, hey, what do you think? And they're like, nope, like that's like that's a terrible line. Or oh no, like that's awesome. Like they love it. It seems like there's a lot just more freely flowing creative energy when when you can be doing it and bouncing ideas off of each other. I'm that first guy that second guesses himself a lot. So my best collaborators are when I'm sitting in the room. And I throw out an idea and they're the second guy that you were just describing going, oh, that's awesome. Those kind of people keep me moving forward, where if I'm just writing by myself, I'm going to start second guess. No, this could be better. No, this could be better. And then you tend to get bogged down. So, you know, that that's another thing that you have to learn about your own personality. Like, are you that person that can never finish because you're too hard on yourself? So maybe you need to be co-writing with people that are more encouraging, you know? So that that's definitely, a, you know, something that you have to be conscious of. Mm, that's so good. So with, with co-writing, if someone's listening to this right now, like, okay, awesome. So I want to, I want to start co-writing. What do you recommend? Where do you recommend that they start kind of looking for co-writers? Like obviously Songtown is an incredible community that, that they could, yeah, they could tap into and we have regular co-writing matchup events where, I mean, our members are literally this morning, somebody, you know, emailed me and said that they were fixing to go into co-write on zoom. One of them's in Canada one of them's in the UK and another one's in Australia. Wow. And they were all co-writing and with Songtown, man, our members, it's an easy place to meet other writers. We'll have co-writing meetup events every couple of months where you can meet other songwriters. We'll have a big Zoom call with, you know, a hundred and something people. And we put you in these little rooms and you can get to know other writers. And so we do fun stuff like that. But yeah, I mean, getting involved in a community like Songtown really helps because it's hard, especially if you're in a town out there where no one else is really writing songs or you know how it is if you're in a band and maybe you try to bring in songs and so and nobody else in the band likes them or you know we should be playing covers nobody wants to hear our originals <laughs> whatever it is you know songtown's a place where it's a tribe of songwriters so they get it and we have a lot of artists and it's working we had one of our members recently had a tim mcgraw cut Somebody's got a hold with a major artist right now. We've had dozens of members get staff writing deals, sync placements, TV shows, movies. I mean, it's just mind boggling. And it's all, it all came about from our members co-writing. Number one song in Australia, two guys met in one of our classes, started co-writing. Now they've had two number one songs in Australia. So, you know, it's, it happens. <laughs> hmm. That's incredible. It, it kind of reminds me of, 
I'm rereading the book Think and Grow Rich by Napoleon Hill, which amazing book. And, you know, he he talks about this mastermind principle and also just recently joined uh, a mastermind with one of my uh, business mentors. And it's like a $25,000 a year mastermind and just had our our first uh, meetup and there's 12 people in the group. And, you know, there's something really special that happens when you have this group of people come together and there's like a this third presence or maybe not third, but it depends on people are in the mastermind, but like, you know, there's like this third mind. That's, that's the idea of the masterminds that there's like one mind that's shared between everyone. And it's, you know, something that we can tap into that's greater than the sum of its parts. And so what you're describing right now as well with the community kind of coming together and, you know, there's sort of this giant mastermind that sort of like is the community. And, you know, I, I bet that that's a, a big part of the reason that, that your community is having the success is because of all the resources within the songwriters and the different the different channels that that can come out of it. Yeah, and we've also, right now we employ like 10 publishers. So when members get together, they co-write. If they're writing great songs, then we have groups that they can meet monthly with a publisher. If the publisher likes a song, he can sign the song or sign the writer to their publishing company. So our first rule is you've got to learn to write a killer song, you've got to learn to co-write. And once you have those down, if you've got great co-writing skills and can write great songs, then we can easily match you up with the music industry. That's the easy part. The hard part is getting your skill level up so that a publisher goes, wow, this person's better than like some of the writers on my staff already. That's, that's where you got to be. You can't just walk in and be okay. You know, you've got to be really killer at what you do. So we help people level up their writing. Then we hook them up with the industry. And it's kind of like a farm system for the music business. (laughs) That's awesome. So let's take a little bit deeper into the first thing that you talked about in terms of being able to write a killer song. You learn how to write a killer song, learn how to co-write effectively. So what are some of the the biggest either mistakes or challenges you see when it comes to like to songwriting? And you know, what are some of the most important tips that you'd have for songwriters to improve? Honestly, I start off all my master classes with an exercise called inspired listening. Mm. And it's so easy when we listen to music as fans, they go, Oh, I love that, or I hate that, or that, that crap, you know, that's not even music or whatever. Like people are so opinion based with they love something and and opinions only reinforce what you think you already know. You're not going to learn anything from having opinions. So what I challenge my students to do is each week I say, listen to 10 tunes and find two things in each one of those songs that you would like to incorporate into your own songwriting. It could be, could be anything. It could just be like, wow, I like how on that song, the verse is real busy, but then the chorus has these long held notes and they're really high, whatever it is. And so I say that if you just find, if you found two tools a week that you could put into your songwriting toolbox, by the end of the year, you've got a hundred plus tools. By the end of five years, you've got, you know, 500 tools, 10 years, you got a thousand tools, but not just that. By the time you're five years into it, you're going to have way more than 500 tools because you're 
by that time, you're instantly able to hear something and go, I want to try that and instantly put it into your writing. I heard a record one time, an old country record by Tim McGraw. It goes, I like it. I love it. I want some more of it. And I was like, that's kind of neat. They have the melody playing off the snare drum. I like it. I love it. So I walk into a co-writing session and I'm going, okay, I want to write a melody that dances around the snare drum. So I'm not taking their melody. I'm not doing their rhythm. I'm going to write something completely different, but I'm going to take that concept. So to make a long story short, I just encourage people when you listen to not have any opinions enter the equation, your sole purpose for listening is to find something you like and to say, okay, can I incorporate this into my writing? And mm-hmm. you, you build a file like John Mayer says, he's, it's like, um, flipping through a record collection and go, Oh, I'll use this for this song, or I'll use this for this song. And you literally want to have a file in your brain of all these listening exercises that you've done. So I don't care where I go. I could be in a dentist chair and I go, and it could be the cheesiest music in the world, but I can find something in there that I can use that would really be cool. So if you can develop that kind of mentality where you don't trash people's music, you're not, you know, get away from your opinions and look for what you can use and it, let that inspire you to write your own songs. If you can do that, then pretty much anything in the music business is possible. Mm. I love that. So you called that, was it inspired listening? Yeah. Inspired listening versus reactive listening. And I have a book that I spent the last two years for 10 years. Now I've taught a melody master six weeks every year, put together college degree programs for in songwriting for colleges. I've like amassed all this knowledge, you know, plus my, my own songwriting for the last 30 years and having hits and So I condensed, took two years, but I condensed it all down into a book called Mastering Melody Writing. It's coming out next month. I always, I'm terrible at plugging things. So (laughs) (laughs) I'm glad the conversation got around to this because it's literally like the cliff notes for writing memorable hooky songs in any genre. It's my cliff notes from the last 25 years of, of writing hits. That's amazing. So I wish that we already had the link for it. Well, we'll, here's what we'll do. So we'll, after it comes out, because I'm sure there'll be people listening mm-hmm. to the podcast after the book is out, we'll come back and we'll put a link in the in the description because that sounds amazing. And, and I love that idea too, inspired, inspired listening, just, you just making, make, having a document and two songs a week, you're writing down two ideas and, and literally just like having that as a, having that as a system, literally be able to pull, like to look at that. You could even like, I'm like imagining like a Google doc right now, where you just have everything listed mm-hmm. out or like a mind node where you just have everything listed out and you can even hyperlink like to point to the song. So you could, you could check it out. Uh, that's a really, really cool idea. Yes. And I call that having my own music research lab. And the beauty of it is. Once you get good at it, you don't need to, to take a class and go, okay, show me what I should be doing. You're going to be learning to do it yourself. So if you, if you hear a song and you go, wow, I've never heard that chord progression before. I'm going to try that. And then the next time you sit down, 
you try, you know, completely different melody, completely different groove, but you might go, I like that one chord change. I'm going to put that in a song. So if you build up a file and I do that, I have a spreadsheet of, you know, cool stuff in case I ever forget it. And I do it religiously, you know, and with the hyperlink so I can go to YouTube and, and listen to it. To, I'll put, you know, check this out at two minutes and 10 seconds. <laughs> mm, that's so smart. And I bet too for like, for co-writing sessions too. Like if you had this idea, you're like, oh, like, you know, here's what I'm yeah. referring to. Like something like this, we can play off this. That's really cool. Exactly. And that, you know, especially going into any writing session, being intentional. So if I go into a writing session and say, Blake Shelton is cutting in two months, we need to write something today that he can cut. And, you know, I know Blake, he has certain themes that he likes to sing about. He had, you know, if you can be real intentional about it, maybe you don't hit the mark 100% and Blake doesn't cut it, but then maybe, you know, another artist that is in the same genre will, will cut it are in a different genre. I've had songs that were, you know, hits in country that got remade by a dance artist and became, you know, a number one club song. So you just, you never know where, where songs will go if you learn to write great songs. Hmm. That's awesome. So the other thing that you had mentioned, you know, so like one, like learning how to write a killer song, but then also learning to, to develop the skill of co-writing and becoming a really good co-writer. What do you think are some of the most important um, traits to, or skills to develop that makes you a better co-writer? Or what are some of the things to, to avoid? Here's the, the number one premise for co-writing. The song is king. And what I mean by that is your ego needs to be checked at the door. And everyone that walks into that co-writing session, the only thing that matters is what is best for the song. So, you know, some days I might write 90% of a song. Some days I may write 10% of a song, but it's like in basketball. If the other person in the room gets hot, then you just start feeding them the ball so they can shoot because they're scoring points. So you've got to kind of figure out who you are in the room that day, you know, what's needed before when I was saying maybe today you're writing lyrics, maybe tomorrow you're writing melody, figure that out and figure out what the song needs. You never want to get into a situation where you're fighting with somebody over what should be in a song because you want your idea in the song and they want their idea. So I think if you could remember that golden rule kind of that the song is king and you're only wanting to do what is best for the song, then I think that keeps you you know, moving ahead in a positive direction it's not easy, you know, especially when people are starting out, they want to prove themselves, but you know, you get, you got to learn that skill of getting along with other people in the room and fighting when you believe in something, fighting for it, but nothing goes in a song that everyone in the room doesn't agree upon. I mean, if, if I can get everyone in the room to agree on a line, then it goes in, but if two people in the room don't want it and I do, then that line doesn't go in the song. We try to come up with something that everybody is happy with. And, you know, sometimes, sometimes it'll be where 
one person in the room is really passionate and the other people go, well, I'm on the fence. So we'll go with the person that's, you know, really passionate, but you just never want to get into that mode where you're fighting my lines better. You know, <laughs> that's, that is what amateurs basically do. It's, it's not what pros are, who know how to work together do. Mm. That's really good. So, so it sounds like what you're saying is that one of the most important things in terms of being a good co-writer is checking your ego at the door and not taking things personally. And, yeah. you know, and it's okay to express, like, if you think something is, is a good idea, like absolutely share it, but don't be so attached to it that it has to, that you're stuck to that viewpoint and make it more about you know, what's best for the song and not necessarily about whose ideas or, or what and, and taking ownership of it. Yeah. I love how you say in like one sentence what it took me five minutes to say <laughs> and i'm the writer so i should be i should be better at that one of the best phrases somebody told me early on was the hardest thing in songwriting is getting rid of a great line in your song for the right line and i think when we're starting out we get attached to like oh this is the best line i've ever written but if once again the song is king if it's not the best line for the song, then being a great line doesn't matter. Every line's in service of that song. So learning to, you know, be okay with what Stephen King said, killing your little darlings, you know, you might, he was referring to, you know, ripping a paragraph out of a novel if it, if it doesn't belong there, but it's the same with, with writing songs, you know, if a line is great, but it's not right for the song, then I don't think twice about putting it on the cutting room floor. And you can save it for another song. Maybe it inspires a whole new song. Mm, that's awesome. Cool. Well, Clay, this, this has been a lot of fun. And I always, I've had a couple of conversations with songwriters and people who are like, like masters, like, like you. And I always come away from it feeling really personally inspired to start writing more songs again myself. Yeah. So I always appreciate being able to have conversations like this. So for anyone who is listening to this right now and is interested in learning more about Songtown or connecting more with you, where do you recommend that they go to, to learn more? Songtown.com. You can also, if you have questions, just email me. I answer all my emails, clay at songtown.com and I'll get back to you. And that's the cool thing about Songtown is Marty Dotson and I who started it you know, our members email us every day and they're like, so-and-so is offering me a contract on this song and they want to take all my publishing and, you know, never give me a reversion clause. And so we're like, no, don't do that. <laughs> That's a terrible mm -hmm. idea. So it's kind of like when you join Songtown, you're part of our family and we're going to help you out. If you have questions, you can email us anytime. So. Mm. Love that. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's one thing I really appreciate uh, about you. And as we've had this conversation, it's, it seems like really the community is a huge part of what Songtown, what you are all about is about building this network. And, you know, we talked about this mastermind and sort of this, this coming together that happens, but, but I, I've seen that reflected in all of my mentors. And it's something that I've started to appreciate more and more with Modern Musician as well is that the roots of everything is it comes down to this this community. So yeah, I really appreciate you taking the time to, to share the lessons that, that you've learned and the fact that you're building this community to be able to serve songwriters in this way. Awesome. Thank you for having me. And let me know when 
this comes out, we'll blast it out to all our members and spread the love. Hey, it's Michael here. I hope that you got a ton of value out of this episode. Make sure to check out the show notes to learn more about our guest today. And if you want to support the podcast, then there's a few ways to help us grow. First, if you hit subscribe, then that'll make sure you don't miss a new episode. Secondly, if you share it with your friends or on your social media, tag us. That really helps us out. And third, uh, best of all, if you leave us an honest review, it's going to help us reach more musicians like you who want to take their music careers to the next level. The time to be a modern musician is now, and I look forward to seeing you on our next episode.